0: Just let me underscore that uh, two weeks from today, we won't be meeting here. We will be meeting with our home groups and uh, taking the opportunity to join with Eco Superior in uh, cleaning up our city and glad to be involved in that way. And you'll be hearing from your home group leaders. Thanks for praying for us when we were away in California and uh, Annette's dad had turned 97. We had a really nice birthday party. I had dropped in on him ahead of time and without my dear wife, and there was a question about uh, whether he would remember me. And we're sitting there talking, Annette's sister was vacuuming in the house. She shut the vacuum off, stuck her head out into the backyard and said, just wanted to say a quick hello. Annette's dad pointed at me and said, you can't do that with him. remembered so we had a good time and got to see her five siblings and families and so here we are a couple of weeks ago i had started talking about intent and communication how there are times when we say uh, this and uh, our intent may be over here, but what is heard in the ears of those listening is something far different. So for those of you that want to remind me after this morning that the Bruins are now out of the playoffs, I will interpret that as your love and care for me. All right? Just, just so you know someone said so are the leafs except that i i try to have news that is actually up to date we were looking a couple of weeks ago in ephesians chapter 4 we're going to touch there briefly a reminder of the unity The oneness that we have in Jesus, if you remember, he said this, that we are to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. That term eager, a reminder, is that we work hard at doing that, that we work hard at maintaining unity. I confess that there are times when actually it might be easier not to maintain unity because I have my own thoughts, my own feelings, my own desires, my own positions, etc., cetera, et cetera. But Paul here says to the Ephesians, you need to work hard at it. So that causes me to do this that before I speak, I need to have a little filter back here that says something like this. How will what I'm about to say or what I'm about to post, how will that help maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace? i think that uh we know in general we tend to post things that are more inflammatory than we actually might be in person have you noticed that and so even if we aren't speaking in person could i encourage us to do this that you read something that uh, causes all your bells and whistles to go off. And it's really easy when you're behind a screen and uh, you've got that keyboard in front of you to say, okay, how is what I'm about to write working hard at maintaining the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace is a reminder of this. He calls it the unity of the Spirit. So only the Holy Spirit can bring about spiritual unity. We can keep it or we can break it, but only the Holy Spirit makes it. So we want to be careful because he says there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Having described the unity of the body, he then goes on to talk about the diversity of the body. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, the Lord Jesus, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Scripture makes it clear that we're born captive to sin. And when we trust the Lord Jesus, when we come into a personal relationship with him, he sets us free. The picture that they would have had at that point is this. He walks in as the victor over sin and death and says to those of us all who were born in sin and have chosen to be sinners. I'm setting you free from all of that. You're free in the Lord Jesus. Now, how about our giftings? I want you to turn over with me to 1 Corinthians and chapter 12. 1 Corinthians and chapter 12. And as we turn there, let me ask you this. Ever felt like it being an appendix? Ever felt like in the body, your consoles? Maybe gallbladder. I say those three because I don't have tonsils, I don't have an appendix, and I don't have a gallbladder. And here I'm functioning. And I discovered before I can even remember, apparently, that I didn't need tonsils. They were taken out. I was in my third year of university We had been married a few months. I said to Annette, I think I have an upset stomach. And um, I had stopped in to have it checked. And the next was a phone call. Oh, apparently I'm having surgery later tonight. Few years later, out came the gallbladder. And sometimes when we're involved in a group of people, there seem to be like really important people, you know, like how can the church function if we don't have these people? But, but I think that the church can probably function without me. In fact, you know what? I, I think that if I wasn't there anymore, they wouldn't even notice because I'm just not important. Here is what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, And we're all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, There are many parts, yet one body. He breaks this down in a couple of ways for us. And in the section that we have just read, he's saying this. If you're a part of the body of Christ, you have an essential purpose In God's plan, an essential purpose in being a part of this body. And the body of the Lord Jesus is obviously around the world, but it takes its visible form in local churches. You are part of the grassroots body, the grassroots Family, and you're a vital part because all that ultimately matters, and even though I have been accused of this, I do have something above the neck, and generally it functions. In the body of the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus is the head. As I'm talking right now and my arms and my hands and my legs are doing whatever they do when I stand up and speak, I can tell you I'm consciously not thinking about that. I'm thinking about what I'm saying and my body functions because the head is doing all kinds of things that I don't understand, but I know it's happening. And what's happening with you today, I'm so glad to be able to tell you this that. I may not know exactly what your function is in this body, but you have one and it's essential to our functioning. Because no matter how much I try, I can't make my hand here. It doesn't work because that's not what my hand was designed to do. And you've got a design that the Holy Spirit gave to you when you came into relationship with Jesus. You are a part of the body that nobody else can be. So no one should Ever feel like I don't matter. I'm not a vital part. They can function just fine without me. The evidence is this, and Heather Dennis has been helping us greatly in the last few weeks. If we're not all involved in some type of service, the body tends to just limp along. And there may be some things that are still done, but the body isn't functioning the way that the body was intended to function. And when you came into relationship with Jesus, not only were you made a part of the body, He gave to you spiritual gifts that are unique to who Jesus made you. And when you're not functioning in the body, We all suffer because of that. So I want to encourage you because of what it does for the body and for what it does for you to be involved, to be engaged. We've tended to use the term volunteer and I appreciate that because uh, we aren't cornering people and demanding. But it's within the context of the local church that volunteerism is raised to a new level because we're serving Jesus. There are other organizations in our city that people might volunteer to do some things. But in and of itself, they may not be serving Jesus. But here within the body, whether we're doing it collectively, or not, when you show the love of Jesus to your neighbor, you're exercising the gifts that God has given to you within the body. You don't have to be in Thunder Bay to be exercising the gifts that are associated with this body. That's how important you are. I don't think I can stress it enough. In a few moments, we're going to come figuratively to the table of the Lord Jesus. He died, rose again. To make us a part of his body. And you are supremely gifted to be exactly who Jesus wants you to be. So that when you function within the body, you discover this Wow. There is such joy in being a part of what God is doing. You say, hey, it doesn't fill me with pride, it fills me with gratitude that Jesus would give my life this much meaning. That keeps us away from this two fallacies in the first part. That what I do is somehow more important than who I am. Because who you are is a part of the body of Jesus that he made you unique. And maybe, just maybe, you have spent time thinking, I really wish that when Jesus made me, he had made me differently than I am. Man, I remember as a teenager. In grade nine, the coaches told my parents this, the football coaches, look at the size of him at 13. Now, we didn't keep him on the team this year because of how well he played. But he's 13 years old and he is five foot nine and by the time we have taught him and he continues to grow we will have a football player by the time he is in grade 12 and 13 and from the age of 13 I have grown uh, a grand total of a half an inch at least vertically and Guess what? By the time I graduated from junior football to senior football, my football career was over. I've always been slow, and I didn't get big, and I desperately wanted to play football. Second item. I desperately wanted to sing bass in a southern gospel quartet. My dad sang bass in a southern gospel quartet. In a great sense of unfairness, my son sang bass in a southern gospel quartet. I was forced in our church in Blind River to sing a solo in a choir piece one time because the guy that was supposed to sing got laryngitis I sang a deacon said to me afterwards wow in your first line I thought he's been hiding his candle under a bushel and then you went back to sounding like yourself I was on a walk with a fellow who was six foot four and he weighed about 175 pounds and we had just heard a lecture and he said to me, Steve, that was a really good lecture for me because people make fun of my height. They call me, a bean pole they ask me like how's the weather up there etc and i looked at him like he was out of his mind to say what are you talking about i would have given my eye teeth to be as tall as you okay grassroots i'm going to tell you this In almost 40 years of pastoral ministry, this is the first time I have ever said this publicly and feel free not to use it against me in the future. Because as a kid, my nickname at school was Doughboy. The Pillsbury Doughboy? Yeah, Doughboy. So when you are six foot four and thin, it's like God answered his prayer and gave me doughboy. And a long time ago, I had to recognize this, that he made me the way I am for what he has for me. And there's still times when now that I'm actually shrinking, that I wish I was taller. There are still times when I'm playing southern gospel music in my van that I wish I could hit the low notes that are there. But I'm glad most of the time that Jesus made me the way I am. And I hope for you, everybody, this morning, that deep in your heart, you're pleased with who God made you, with who Jesus made you, because that's how much he loved you. They used to say something like this, and God don't make no junk. You were designed just the way you are. We need you. That's one side. The other side is this. The eye cannot say, verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Second part is this. It's a fallacy for us to say about anyone, we don't need you. First one was, they don't need me. Second one is, we don't need them. Say, oh, we would never think like that. Oh, yeah? I can tell you from a pastoral standpoint, there have been times I wished that I was like a general manager of a hockey team. I could get on the phone with another pastor and say this, I will trade you these two families... Actually, for future considerations, you don't need to send me anybody back. <laughs> and sometimes you just look and think, okay, Lord, I, I know we're all members of the same body, but does that part of your body need to squeak that much all the time? No, we're not better off without you. Think this through with me. I believe that there are many times when we might say, We want them to be more like Jesus. And if we scratch the surface of that, we might discover this, that our real intent is we want them to be more like us. We'd like them to be more like us. Because if they thought like us and acted like us, and held all the same positions that we hold on everything, then life would just be easier. But that's not the way the body functions. The body functions in its diversity. When Paul here talks, about the weaker being exalted, he, he does so in some language that we might struggle with. I understand this that my brain is essential. But he's put it behind all of this as protection because, in some senses, the brain's very vulnerable. He talks here about modesty and the uh, unpresentable. We know. This that we keep covered that which allows us to have families. To have families. And what a delight and joy to be in this family gathering a week ago. As Annette's grandparents had eight children. My father-in-law is 97. He's got two brothers that are still in their 90s. He's got two brothers that are in their later 80s. Do you know how many cousins Annette has? Like they can take over. And it's such a delight to see them. And Paul here is saying, no, we don't get to say about any part of the body. It's really kind of embarrassing. Because we need you. We need you. And it intersects like this. It's not a matter of Jesus wringing his hands saying, uh-oh, I don't know what I'm going to do next. Because if they don't serve me, uh-oh, what am I going to do? He's not anywhere near helpless. But put the two together. And as we come to the table of the Lord Jesus, you can rejoice in this. Jesus made me essential. He made me unique. He made me exactly who I am. So that I can be an integral part of what he's doing. So that when, when you see another part of the body serving, you get to rejoice because you're a part of that. When we see someone else serving, we get to rejoice you're essential because you're in Jesus and Jesus looks today and as he ponders his death on our behalf Hebrews tells us this For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What's the joy that is set before Jesus? You are. Because of what Jesus knew was going to happen, based on his death on our behalf, that this would happen. Through the centuries, there would be Jesus followers who were absolutely transformed from the inside out that were ever a part of his body. And in this generation, in this city, in this local church, Jesus rejoices. You glad for that today? Rejoicing in being in Jesus. Rejoicing in being a part of this fellowship. A part of his body known as Grassrooters. When we come to the table and rejoice in his finished work, Part of that finished work is you. Would you pray with me?